All right, so welcome to another episode of the Speech Entry Podcast today with Matteo Franceschetti. Hi, Matteo, how are you doing? Great, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Yes, thanks for taking the time. Uh, I'm very excited that we're doing this today. Uh, you have an interesting story, are doing some incredible work. Uh, so thanks a lot for taking the time. We're going to dive, uh, dive into things, but, you know, kind of as an icebreaker, Obviously, we, we would like to know who's it that we're talking to, right? So kind of would be great if you would, uh, you know, sort of to say in a storytelling way, tell us about your, you know, professional path and how did you end up where you are today and take your time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, as you can guess from my accent, I'm uh, originally from Italy, but I moved to the U.S. around 11 years ago. Um when I was young, I used to be a, an athlete, so I was a tennis player. Then uh, I became uh, a lawyer early in my career. So I work uh, at two of the largest law firms in the world. They're based in, uh, um, in London. Um, and then I became an entrepreneur in 2008. I started a company in solar, so renewable energy that was based in, in Italy. Um, and we had business all, all over Europe. Um, then I sold that company. I moved to the U.S. I started a similar company, so still in solar renewable energy. It was based in New York. Um, our pipeline got acquired by Panasonic, a company owned by Panasonic. And then I started Eight Sleep, which is what I'm doing now. So we invented a technology that improves your sleep at night by changing your body temperature, and it also tracks all your biometrics while you are asleep. So sleep, heart rate, HRV. Uh, respiration and um, yeah I started the company in 2015 so quite some time ago we have raised uh, over 160 million from some of the leading investors in Silicon Valley we are a fully distributed company now I live in Miami but we have uh, our team is again is fully distributed is here in the US China Mexico um, and Europe very, very interesting. And uh, we're going to dive deeper into, obviously, uh, eight sleep. But before we do so, uh, I want to already, um, you know, get a little bit more in depth into your first entrepreneurial endeavors. So uh, you are obviously um, uh, Italian and uh, you said you worked you, you worked in law. How did you, how did you make your kind of way uh, into your first venture? You know, you, you said you were, um, you know, working in solar. How does somebody that works at a law firm you know, decide to, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to start a venture. And then, you know, why this particular venture? Yeah, there were a couple of things that just happened at the same time. So the first one was the 2008 crisis. And so there was less work uh, compared to the usual at the law firm. Um, and so as soon as, as I started having more time, um, I didn't want to rest. And so I started looking for other opportunities. There was a bubble in Italy, probably the only bubble of the past 60 years, which was renewable energy because there was a feed-in tariff. And I had a lot of expertise in project finance, which is what I was doing. I was a lawyer in finance, right? And so there were all these funds coming to Italy trying to invest in real estate projects because at the end of the day, solar is a sort of real estate project. Um, Few not a lot of Italians, particularly in the South, they speak Italian, they speak English. And so these funds were looking for lawyers able to speak English that they could trust and they could manage their transaction. And so during the night, uh, I was um, 
managing this project at the beginning with my co-founder. So I was working at the law firm until 10 p.m. And then from 10 p.m. to 2, 3 a.m., we were working on, on this side project. We started making money. The company was profitable since day one. And the day I reached that uh, buffer that could pay me the same salary of the law firm is when I decided to quit and I became an entrepreneur. <laughs> what was um, How was that journey for you? Kind of as a, you know... Um... You said you were um, you were an athlete, uh, you know, when when you were let's say younger or prior, you know, first first career. Let's put it this way. Um, how 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 was that first experience? Kind of uh, you know your first entrepreneurial experience for you at that moment. Was it like okay, you know, this is definitely what I want to do, uh, or you know, th- did it feel natural? Uh, you know, from from the from the get go. Uh, how how was that for you? Yeah, I felt really natural. And I, I still think that particularly startups are the closest thing to sport. So if you don't become an athlete, but you would like to be an athlete, then you should do a startup. Um, <laughs> because it comes with the same levels of adrenaline, pain and pleasure, yeah. right? Because sometimes you have very tough moments in sport are injuries, or you just now got defeated in a match that you shouldn't have lost. And in startups, you have the equivalent. But then at the same time, you now you can win a big match. Well, instead in startups, you now your revenue might accelerate. You could close a big round or close a big person that you wanted to bring on board. So it's a roller coaster in yeah. both cases. I, I heard that a comparison already a couple of times. I I, I agree with you. It's a, definitely a, a very nice, very nice comparison. Um, what what was kind of um you know the, the what when you got out of that venture, how did you um so I, I think you did it for like about five years or so, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. And and how was how was that time after that? So when you exited the business, you were moving to the U.S. That's like a big step. How did you get there? You know, why did you make the decision to go there? What was what was the thought process behind that? Yeah, so that venture was two years. But so what happened is the regulations changed in Italy. Mm-hmm. And so it was really time to sell. So we found a way to sell it. Um, but at the same time, around six to nine months earlier, we started a partnership with um, an American gentleman mm-hmm. to start you now what then would become the American company. Mm-hmm. The funny story is that we went to the notary to sign the documents for, for the exit, for the sale. And the following days when I left for the United States, I didn't even empty my apartment. My mom helped me with that. Um, and sometimes when I look back, it seems almost incredible. Like I, it doesn't sound true, right? Yeah. That you just moved to the U.S. the day after you closed the deal. I, I almost didn't even think of that. You know, when you are maybe that young and you just don't think. Um, today would be probably a three-month process. Or maybe it would still be a one-day process because that is how my brain operates. But for most of the people, it would be a three- to six-month process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what was it was it clear for you that like, you know, it's um, so I mean, you being from Europe as well, right? There's really oftentimes this comparison between, you know, the US and Europe. So kind of like, you know, especially in the entrepreneurship side, it's like, okay, you know, opportunities, uh, you know, here versus there, etc. Was that for you like, okay, you know, it's the US, everything is possible, <laughs> go there, you know, change the world. I don't know. What, what was your mindset like in that regard? Yeah, I, so I think there are two two worlds or, or, or two mm. buckets. One 
I was naive. And so I said, okay, now this, this, this opportunity in Italy, in Europe is closed. Now I go there and I just try that because that is what was left, right? There was this other partner in, in the US and we believed that there was an opportunity. And so there I was just naive. Okay, that is what I have to do. I just go. On the other side, then in particular, in the first years, I realized that the American culture is very different and I didn't know about that. So the way you do business is slightly different. Yeah. I was lucky that the American way to do business is closer to my way of mm -hmm. doing business. So it worked out, I think, really, really well for me. Um, but it took some time to really understand how people think and how they operate and what are their expectations. Well, uh, well, how would you describe this way of, of doing business? It's way more efficient, right? It's less about, you know, probably development, developing a relationship. It's less, I'm Italian, right? It's less about food and, and, and all that part. It's straight to business. You're always on time. If you have a meeting at 4 p.m., I don't care what you had to do before. At 4 p.m., you show up. And if it, the meeting was supposed to end at 4.30, it ends at 4.30 because you have a hard stop, right? Even the concept of a hard stop, we don't really have that, I think, at least in Italy. Well, instead here is completely polite to say, sorry, I have a hard stop. I, I need to jump in another meeting. Yeah. Well, instead in Italy it's 4.30, but it could become 4.45. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh interesting so uh, i mean new york is also a nice place right to go uh i mean you've been in a nice place before but um you know going to another nice place uh completely different in that regard uh if, if somebody has been to italy and new york uh they, they know um but you know after after that endeavor in the u.s um so with that with the first venture because you had really kind of this this perfect change you know you you came to New York with with something right to do something there was a there was like a there was a venture there was an activity there was a contact etc but like you know now again you're full focused on doing that um and then you know finishing that that next transition phase you know what 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 changed for you in New York what did you get to know um you know how how did it set you up for the next step following after that yeah, I mean, there was this transition where at a certain point, uh, you know, we, we started talking about you know, selling all our assets. And at the same time, I started being an angel investor in Silicon Valley. And I started developing some contacts there. And I started appreciating you know, the power of software and um, how that world was working, you know, is working, which is completely different from what I, I, I originally saw in Italy, where it's much harder to raise money. And obviously the, the startup environment is, is nice, but it's not Silicon Valley. And so there was this transition at the end of the second business where I was exposed to Silicon Valley. And by the time the second business was done, I was ready to start with, um, with the eight sleep. So if you look back at my career, I never had a day without a job since when I started working in my life, because it was literally... Mm. The day I closed one chapter, the following day, I was already full time on the next one. Yeah. Um, it's, from one side, it's cool. From another side, sometimes I look back and I say, I never really had a day off in uh, <laughs> multiple years. <laughs> Interesting. So I'm, I'm curious, how did you, how did you, um, how did you get involved with, um, you said like, okay, you started to make contacts in Silicon Valley, et cetera. Um, I mean, that's, that's a little bit, um, 
you know, a different world from, from, you know, being in solar, for example, right? Uh, it's a very, very different type of business, very different type of people. What were kind of the first contacts that you have there with people and, and why did you, you know, why did you kind of go more in depth in there? Because, you know, that is obviously, that was the reason that sets you up for the next stage already, right? So that was kind of you already making those links, you know, while doing something completely different. So, you know, uh, tell me about that. Yeah, so what happened was that I started flying to San Francisco because we had some potential partners slash clients for the solar business. Mm -hmm. And I'm always very curious. And so as I started going there, I knew I was flying to Silicon Valley. And so through some Italian friends, I started being connected to other Italians mm -hmm. um, living there. And the majority of them, they were into tech. Yeah. Um, so I started talking to some of them. I started uh, mentoring some of them um, as an entrepreneur. And one of those people then became my co-founder. So Massimo, who is our, currently our CTO. But the bottom line is I started going there. I started getting introduced to Italians living there. Most mm -hmm. of them, they were in, uh, in tech. And I started learning about this uh, incredible industry. And I immediately got fascinated. I started as an, a small angel investor, and then I became part of that movement. Interesting. Okay, so and, and now comes comes really, um, you know, the, let's say the 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 really more or less thing that you've been building for for quite some time now, right? So almost uh, or about eight years now, uh, which which is you know some some considerable time, uh, you know, um, and. Tell me, tell me really about the early days because uh, you know that that's curious. I mean, now we know uh, you 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 started to meet some fellow Italians, you know, started to make contacts there. Um, how how was really kind of the first you know the first days of finding your co-founders, developing on the initial idea, um, and you know just give give us some insight there. Yeah, I mean. The first co-founder was Max, who is our CTO today. Mm -hmm. and, and so we became friends. I started mentoring him at the time. He was the CEO of his own startup of another one. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is how we developed the relationship. Um, then we came up with the idea one night here in New York, because we started thinking, why Elon Musk is taking me to Mars, but I still spend a third of my life on a piece of dumb foam. And we started wondering what technology can we bring to, not to your night, to your sleep. And uh, Max is the type of guy who can build a rocket in the garage in one night. And so we had this idea. He built the first prototype. We created a pajama party. We invited some friends. And Alexandra, who is another co-founder, uh, designed a sort of presentation that we could give to people coming and trying the product. And that is how everything really started because after that pyjama party, one of the people gave me a check uh, to invest in the company, but there was no company at the time. We didn't even incorporate, but we had the first, I think it was a 25K check. Mm -hmm. That is how it started. Then from there, we decided to work on a crowdfunding campaign mm -hmm. on Indiegogo. We launched this campaign in 2015. Um, since then we sold 8,000 units in pre-orders. Um, we applied to YC a couple of times. We got rejected twice. Then um, we applied a third time, which was also the last one. Um, and then we finally got in. Mm -hmm. And from there, everything took off. So it was really the crowdfunding campaign and YC that accelerated the early days. Why did why did you choose uh, why did you choose crowdfunding? 
because at the time was very, I would say, the most logical move for an hardware company was when crowdfunding was really super important. There was a lot of hype. And so it was the simplest way for an hardware company to prove demand before you build something. Mm-hmm. Um, then when you look back, you understand that is not true, that through crowdfunding, you prove demand is a very different customer. But at the time, that was the, the general belief and, and, and it worked out for us. Okay, interesting. All right, so um, it's it's a it's a it's a, a co- complex product, right? I, I would say um, more complex than, or not 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 more complex, but complex in a different way than, for example, building a pure software company, right? So because yeah. there's a physical component to that, yeah. Um, you said like, okay, uh, you got a competitive advantage in that sense you, that you have a co-founder who can build a rocket in a garage overnight. But um, I mean, um, you know, building building a prototype is one thing, but you know, uh, scaling that up and making it professional, etc. There's a really kind of long way and a lot of work involved with that. So um, let's let's maybe start from you said crowdfunding YC. When did you really kind of um, you know really professionalize and 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 scale into 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 the next maturity phase, you know, beyond showing like, okay, you know, this is the vision that we have, here's a prototype, you know, there's a, um, a digital component to this, um, you know, let's talk about this. Yeah, so from there until late 2016 is when we were building the, the pre-order units. Mm-hmm. Uh, then in 2016 is when we got out of pre-orders but I think we were we were still pretty startupish in the quality of the product, so it was for very early adopters. Then Cosla Ventures invested in us in 2017, mm-hmm. and I think then is when we really stepped up, both because we had more money, so we had more capital uh, to invest, and second because the investment from Cosla Ventures and particularly Keith Raboy's uh, made it also possible to attract some top talents right in particular some executives Mm -hmm. that maybe before they would have been worried about and now the company was very early stage but with the credibility of such a great investor um, that made a big difference okay before Cosla Ventures uh, so with for you know the production uh, for the early adopters uh, let's talk about that because that's a real hustle right so you know finding the suppliers (laughs) you know flying there talking with them getting you know the right quality and everything you know that that's a very interesting um you know part of the overall story you know maybe you have some anecdotes of that um you know you 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 flying uh, flying there uh, and i don't know having troubles uh, fires burning i don't know tell tell me sure. about that time <laughs> yeah so i mean there is a, a really funny story where one day it was immediately after we see them a day and i go to my wife and i say i have to go to china because uh, things are not happening on the on the manufacturing side. And she said, oh, cool. So when are you going to go? And I said, oh, I leave tomorrow. Mm. And she said, okay, cool. And when are you coming back? And, and my answer was once I fix it. <laughs> and so the bottom line was that I moved to China. I lived there uh, for quite some time. Um, and uh, we found now the manufacturers that we still use today uh, and part of the people that are part of the original people we found at that time are still with us today. Um, yeah, you, you do what you got to do. 
How, how did you find these suppliers? Because, you know, uh, that is a very specific product, right? So um, there's uh, maybe maybe you can give some background on the product and then, you know, in order for people to picture the complexity. And then, you know, how did you find those those uh, those suppliers? So how did you look for those suppliers? Yeah, the, the product is pretty complicated, meaning it has embedded sensors. So you need to find the supplier for all the sensors. It uses a uh, um, thermoregulation, so a TEC engine and fans and pumps uh, to heat and cool your bed uh, to maximize your sleep performance. Um, and then obviously it, ha it has fabric, but it also has this sort of tower that is called hub that sits next to the bed. So what is a pretty complicated product, you need multiple suppliers, at least three, uh, but then there is a bunch of other sub suppliers. The bottom line is at the time we found this contractor who had a lot of uh, um, contacts and uh, this person would take you around uh, the Shenzhen area mm. um, every single day and you would meet dozens of CNs. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't have any experience in hardware, so the assessment um, was not that easy, meaning they can fool you. Uh, they yeah. they have their business really well. I didn't know anything. Um, but at the end of the day, the other thing that happened is one of our largest investors at the time from YC Demo Day was a Chinese investor. Oh, okay. So he helped us uh, with the kind of screening. And um, that is how everything started. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, that's a very big one. I, I think people so oftentimes people in the West don't don't realize the level of entrepreneurship you have in, <laughs> and yeah. you have in Asian countries. The, those are some crazy entrepreneurs over there. <laughs> yeah, and then you need to be on the road. These meetings are usually very long because part of their culture is to treat you really well. Yeah, exactly. And the other issue or issue, the other thing I discovered at the time is when they know they are your last uh, uh, meeting of the day. Mm. They want to take you out to, for dinner. Exactly. Otherwise, exactly. it looks like they are rude. Yeah. And, but you are rude if you don't do it. But imagine that you already travel like eight hours on the car for a single day. You had 10 meetings. Yeah. You have this last one. The last thing you want to have is a business dinner. You yeah. just want to go home. Particularly if, if it was not the right CN, right? Because you're exactly. selecting, you're picking one out of 15. You don't want to have dinner with the one you didn't like, but they still have to invite you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and they and they want you to drink. <laughs> they want you to drink, and then they smoke a lot. And so in these exactly. meetings, in these rooms, everyone is smoking, and they offer you tea. Yeah. But it was an awesome experience, right? You know, it's one of the things that you do once in your life, maybe twice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I had the pleasure of 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 these type of meetings as well, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. All right. So. It's, um, you know, Costler Ventures, um, that's a big one, obviously. Um, uh, you know, maybe maybe let's talk about that, you know, that window of opportunity that opened up for you guys, you know, to 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 uh, to, to to have them, uh, you know, on board. Um, how, how did you how did you, um, you know, how did you get get to kind of like, you know, pitch with them in terms of, you know, showing the traction? Um, uh, you know, because it's a, definitely, you know, one of the top top venture firms to get to, to get on board. Um, or was it like a no-brainer? You know, were they reaching out? Have you been reaching out? Like, how what was it that you know, kind of that story before before the actual commitment happened? Yeah, they already knew us. Keith Rabois already knew us, but um, we didn't talk for some time. Then a YC partner reintroduced me mm -hmm. to him. 
and that is when I pitch him uh, eight sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, I had to meet with Vinod, and uh, that was pretty challenging because Vinod was going on vacation, mm-hmm. and so I had to ask his assistant where is he going on vacation, and she said, "Oh, he's going to London." And I said, "Oh, look, London is even closer to New York than San Francisco. Would he mind if I if I fly to London to meet him?" And uh, I think that sent a good a good signal and message to, to Vinod. Vinod likes people that you know they are go-getters and they get things yeah. done, whatever it takes. And so he accepted to see me in London and he spent like it was supposed to be a 30 minutes meeting, but it ended up being a three hours meeting. Really? Um, and after that, um, yeah, they they invested. Why why three hours? Uh, did you did you start to, you know, um, really, you know, kind of go crazy on the idea of what's possible stuff or or, or what, what was kind of three hours? <laughs> yeah, I think we clicked. And so yeah. we enjoy spending time together. And, and I mean, Vinod is the type of guy that he would talk about these things forever. And I'm the same type of person. So yeah, we started brainstorming about what we could do, the kind of people we would need. If we were getting the money, what would be the focus? What would be the first profiles to hire? not really cares about the, the quality of the team um and so we had a lot of fun yeah interesting interesting okay so you you, you got you got a uh, costla on board so that that obviously you know give, gives away a shine uh, uh you know kind of a stamp as well you know that that's what you mentioned as well in terms of attracting talent um from that from that moment on right obviously there's a lot of people that will say okay so this is legit you know this is really interesting um uh, and and people who want to join your company i i want to i want to get your perspective on 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 you know hiring and looking for talent right so for people that you especially at that stage right because yes obviously you got money in the bank right and yes you got a, a, a you know top investors with you on your side but you also got to hire the right people right so not just that they're talented but they're also the fit so how did you approach this i think yeah so in the early days, we made a bunch of mistakes. I think now, if I look at the past 12, 18 months, I think we have proven of being pretty good at assessing people and bringing on board really world-class talent. That is how we call it. Um, at, at the end of the day, that is all that matters, right? The quality of the people you bring on board makes such a big difference. If you nail the right person, for certain roles, particularly for executive roles, these people are 10 Xers. Um, you can't even imagine the value they can deliver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, I I've been I've been thinking a lot about that. So um, you know, how how do you make a because it's such a crucial decision, right? And you said like making mistakes, um, because if you if if you notice you make that mistake, right, you also gotta act quickly in order to, you know, you know not remove that mistake, but I mean, just like, you know, in order to change or adjust, right? So, and in order, you know, you need to, you need to understand that that was a mistake. And I think oftentimes as well, you know, we as people tend to, you know, be really, um, how do you say, you know, not really direct with our own mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of the day, you need to find people with no ego. Yeah. And so the point here is everyone is going to make mistakes, myself included, uh, the problem is never making a mistake. The problem is only if you keep making the same mistake, number one, or if you didn't try hard enough or you didn't think clearly enough, right? So as long as you are focused on the input and the process and you do a good job there, I don't care about the outcome. Yeah. 
you know, maybe maybe um, if we're already talking about people, I think uh, another thing that can make a break or a venture that is obviously is, is the relationship, uh, you know, among the founding team, right? Uh, so you you said okay so you know your co-founder or cto now um obviously uh in in the us you were both in the us you were both italian so you you know there there was like a a binding thing there but it, you know that's just one factor how how did you start the relationship with them um so in the sense of like okay so we're going to start a company how how did you start it with what feeling it's like okay so i know these guys for i don't know how long or um, you know, how did you make that decision in the sense of like, okay, I'm actually trusting these people to to go into this relationship because it's a very, it's a crucial relationship, right? The same as, for example, you have a, a you know, a, a partner or so. So, you know, have you have you have you just blindly said like, okay, you know, this is this is good, let's go, or did you actually spend some thought on this? No, honestly, at the time, I think I was very naive. <laughs> uh and uh, it mainly worked out for the best but if i look back uh, today i would approach it very differently which doesn't mean better because sometimes you need to be naive and just you not know, follow your gut but today i would probably be yeah way more sophisticated in the analysis and and i guess my co-founders would do the same with me so um it's just, it's a big deal, right? At the time, probably I didn't understand how big of a deal it would have been. But yeah, you're, you know, you're marrying, professionally marrying someone exactly, for yeah. 10 years. Um, and so, yeah, you should be careful about the decision and assess it properly. Um, in my case, I, I got uh, mainly lucky. <laughs> yeah, may maybe that was also good, right? If you would be too smart back then, you would probably, yeah. you know, maybe not go for it. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> interesting so um i think you you guys you know have, have grown significantly uh throughout the you know past past years uh what have been some you know maybe let's let's continue chronologically after you got that capital injection from kosla what were really the first major milestones after that and, and you know in order to get traction back in the u.s uh what, what was really the strat you know major kind of key strategies that you that you that you followed the biggest thing was to and it was also the reason why we got the money was to build the pod our current product that now is uh, 90 percent plus of our revenue uh and so it's you know it has certain features where it's able to cool you down at night um to improve your sleep performance and then a bunch of sensors again to track your health but the key difference compared to anything we had before is that it can cool you down mm -hmm. particularly in the u.s there are a lot of people particularly men that tend to sleep hot mm -hmm. it's a pretty big deal but in general every athlete needs needs that as well so that was the big milestone they give us the money we work uh 24 7 to ship the pod we ship it 18 months later um sales take off very quickly and uh six months later is when funders fund leads the following round um yeah so yeah. That, those were the next two big uh, inflection points yeah what, what what do you think and in terms of because this is also such a big brand game right uh with, with this type of product and especially in the u.s i mean if, if you know what from what i've observed from you guys especially in in you know in this vertical um there's a there's a lot to you know to to play with the brand and to really kind of build a major brand in that sense and you guys have been doing some crazy moves uh 
you know, in, 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 in the sports, um, um, uh, you know, field as well. Uh, you just mentioned that, right. So that the pot is in general, very, you know, very, very, very good for athletes, but what were the first kind of, you know, um, athletes that you that you started to work with was that like the inevitable in the sense of like okay so we got to work with athletes in order to build this brand right or where you know athletes are you, where you were reaching out to athletes or how did how did that all go in, in in the beginning yeah both ways meaning on one side athletes started reaching out since from the beginning uh, because they understood the value of the mm. product and the benefits but on the other side it was a very intentional decision from a branding standpoint to create what we call sleep fitness mm -hmm. and we think of sleep like a form of fitness right you yeah. need to put the effort to go to bed to make sure that you sleep at least eight hours and you sleep in a comfortable and effective environment to really recover yeah. right and so it's like going to the gym you, you need to put the effort you need to put the time and if you go to the gym you will feel fit and in great shape the same thing happens with sleep And then we built everything around this concept of sleep fitness, which then meant uh, our ambassadors would become athletes. At the end of the day, we are almost like a Red Bull, but instead of giving you a drink, we give you sleep, but the end result is the same, which is energy and recovery. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's 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 very interesting that you're now mentioning this. So, um, with you know, sleep fitness and uh, you know, kind of co coining a term there, but. Um, there's a lot of products out there, uh, and you know a lot of a lot of companies that have tried to kind of you know do something around sleep. And um, matter of fact, so uh, I mean, my opinion, you know, to put it straightforward, I think that your product, in terms of um, you know the ecosystem overall, overall, is is actually the ideal the ideal product uh, from the from the sense of really analyzing you know or really improving sleep. Which is, uh, I mean, it was uh, just, you know, that starting line, although it sounds very uh, marketing type of way with the sense of, you know, uh, Elon Musk is putting us on on, on Mars, uh, but it's, it's true, right? So we're still sleeping on a, on a, you know, on a really simple kind of mattress. Why, why can't we do more there? There's a lot to be done. How do you see, so and I, I'm sure you, you share my, my, my position there, but if you, and, and you are ob obviously observing the ecosystem, How do you see other products, you know, in in that in that in that ecosystem that that are um, you know supposedly are um, also doing something in sleep fitness? And do you see like that? Do you see eight sleep really as kind of the standalone thing for you know improving sleep, or do you also see like you know a benefit or value add from you know potential other other products where eight sleep you know does not have the extension, for example? I, I, the way I think is, look, there is plenty of medical evidence that temperature is the big elephant in the room for your sleep performance, mm -hmm. right? So this is not said by eight sleep, it's said by you know, doctors and research. Yeah. And um, that is now where we dominate. And that is our bread and butter. I think there are other great companies in the wearable space that are good at helping you understand what's going on in your body and tracking your sleep and your mm -hmm. recovery. But the key difference with eight sleep is that that for us is almost a commodity because on top of that, we take action for you and we actually improve your sleep. Mm -hmm. Our customers, they fall asleep up to 20% faster. They get up to 40, 30, 40% more deep sleep, less toss and turns. And so 
sometimes I always say our competitors are almost uh, companies that do not develop sleep pills. But the difference for us is we are completely healthy, right? So we improve your sleep without you taking a pill, without you taking anything, and you will wake up more refreshed. There is no other company doing that through technology. 100%, 100%. I mean, you know, what you described with the variables, I mean, that is ultimately the current challenge with variables, right? Is is that you basically get, um, you know, you get values, but you don't, you don't get really, you know, um, um, a, you know, a kind of command or, uh, you know, suggestion in the sense of, you know, do this or, you know, even a service and, you know, things will get better. Whereas, you know, for example, you guys have clear metrics that you can, you know, showcase where your product really improves, you know, improves um, sleep for, for, for people, right? And and that that definitely is, uh, you know, the best, the best uh, comparison in that regard. And um, I'm, I'm curious, so how do you, you know, you, you're almost at a decade, right? So uh, what are two years, right? Two years are, are going to be, you know, going fast. What is your... Um, What's your bigger vision? Uh, you know, now after after almost ten years, you know, building this up, you got a, you got already third generation of your product, I guess. Um, what what's how do you see this? You know, further is there like way more, or how how do you yeah. think about this? <laughs> yeah, because technology is coming towards us, right? So there are a lot of new and very interesting sensors. Uh, there are new technologies that we are exploring for environment control. And so in the next 10 years, these devices will become 100% medical grade devices. We already reached 99% accuracy at monitoring your heart rate compared to a medical grade uh, ECG, right? So that, that will happen across multiple dimensions. We will know your bed will become a device that can scan your body. So imagine an MRI you go through an MRI every single night, different technology, but that is the same concept. Plus the whole environment will adjust in real time around you, not just temperature, many other factors. Um, so that is what we are gonna build next. It takes some time to get there because you need to start collecting the first data, develop the first algos, but then there is an acceleration in technology because you already built the foundation. Okay, good point. I'm gonna challenge you on this. Um, so. You know, Apple is is still a consumer product. Uh, you know, with with their Apple Watch for uh for a long time now, um, and it, it's very difficult for them to 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 really you know go into that direction of becoming a medical device. Although, obviously, that is also for you, right? So this consumer part, you know, that's like the that's a small that's like the the first part of the pyramid, right? But it's not it's not the big it's not the big chunk, right? So what you just said. If you if you're if you're able to get there right to to really it, to become a medical device that that's that's going to be also in a business you know business wise going to be a game changer. Um, it, how is that going to be easier for you? Because you 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 guys have to go also through you know clinical trials uh, etc. with your data, and and uh, you know in order to really get you know certified ultimately at at one point with your product. Do you, do you think that is uh that is uh that is that is possible? <laughs> oh yeah, it's 100% possible and it's happening. But I also think that the definition of medical grade device will change. Okay. Because all these wearables and non-wearables like us, they will reach medical grade accuracy. Okay. Then you will have 
couple of different options and they are not one or the other, but they will coexist. One where you have medical grade accuracy, but you don't diagnose. And at that point you don't need FDA approval. And in other instances, instead you get FDA approval and you will be able to diagnose certain health issues, which is what Apple is doing with atrial fibrillation, right? Um, but the whole point of, you know, when we grew up and there were these uh, terrible looking white uh, uh, medical grade devices that they made you feel like if you were sick, even <laughs> if you just had a minor condition, all that is going to disappear, like Apple-like products will become the new medical grade devices for the new generations. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Do you, um, so maybe that's a good question to follow up because uh, obviously you observe the space. Are you, what, what are some things that you are observing in terms of maybe, you know, products, et cetera, that you find interesting where you say, like, okay, this is something where I'm very, you know, curious about where this can go, uh, you know, beyond the classical, you know, aura ring and, 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 you know, Apple watch, you know, major yeah. variable whoop, whatever, but something that where you're saying like, okay, this is really, uh, this is something you know to watch out or look out for. I mean, first of all, there is no there is consumer products and medical products that mm -hmm. are merging, right? Mm -hmm. And so they will become one thing, will be way more accessible. It will they will become way nicer in terms of industrial design and user experience. And so millions of people will start monitoring their health on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So this is the trend that is happening. The other thing is. Yeah, maybe there are not too many other companies getting into the space because the space is hard. You need a lot of money. You need to raise outdoor is hard. Mm -hmm. But what you will see is all these companies, particularly Apple, they will keep introducing new features in their products. Mm -hmm. And that is how they will keep evolving. So it's like Apple Watch at a certain point being able to monitor your glucose. Mm -hmm. That means that every time that you eat a pasta, pizza, or whatever you mm -hmm. eat, you will be able to have an understanding of you know, your glycemic levels. Mm -hmm. And so one little step at a time, these devices have a form factor that will unlock more things. The, the biggest advantage for eight sleep is we have a lot of space, so we can accommodate <laughs> sensors that a wearable cannot. We are plugged to the wall, yeah. so we are connected to electricity, so we yeah. don't have battery challenges. Yeah. And we are in your house, so we can use Wi-Fi. We don't need an LTE connectivity. And so because of this, we can work on sensors that no other wearable company could afford or have space for. Mm -hmm. So how far, you know, I'm, I'm not sure where you can say this, right? But I mean, because on a consumer level, right? If, you, if, if I have a sleep problem and you solve that problem, right? I, I like your product, right? Because I used to have a problem. No, I don't. I sleep amazing. Wow. Okay. I necessarily do not, you know, as the average Joe, do not care about uh, the, the, you know, the, all the crazy metrics, you know, that you can show me in some sort of dashboard or whatever, right? Because I'm not the 1% biohacker or whatever that, um, you know, that, that is, that, that will be curious about this, right? Then the, the question about the, the medical device, again, becomes on the mass scale, right? Way more attractive and more interesting because it is passively collecting things, right? And it's not showing the information to the user, but is more or less, you know, so let's say supposedly is, is communicating if it needs to, right? So if, if there is an anomaly or if there's something that, 
you know, that is interesting to, to share. Um, how far away is that for, for you guys? Really, uh, really as a, as a, you know, in, in the health, in the health sense of, you know, not, not showing me how I can optimize certain things or so, but really on a health, on a health spectrum. I mean, I think it, it is a matter of degrees, but we are already there, right? So on, on the health side, we, for example, in monitoring your heart rate, we are 99% as accurate as a medical grade device. Then these levels of accuracy will be expanded to other biometrics. The advantage you have with our product is because you don't need to wear it or charge it. Even if you don't find those metrics maybe super helpful today, Mm -hmm. you're still building a database of your biometrics. And yeah. maybe three years from now, you have a disease, you have a stroke, and you can look back at the data and yeah. all the data is there. Then on top of the data, again, we use the data to do the work for you because we improve your sleep based on your real-time data and that we are the only device in the world to do that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> so maybe, you know, one one question that I, that I also had in my... Um, on my uh, on my list is how does uh, the connection between um, medical staff, a company like um, or not not medical staff, sorry, medical professionals, right? A company like Eight Sleep Play in the future. I think we will support them because they will be able to have access immediately to data. Um, we received, a, I received a message a couple of months ago from a person who said that we saved his life because he's, uh, he was not feeling well. His biometrics were uh, off. He went straight to ER um, and they identified an issue, a health issue, and he had the surgery and that is how he survived. Oh, wow. Right? So that is how it works. We don't expect to replace doctors. We need the doctors. We expect to be able to inform doctors with accurate data so they can take better decisions faster yeah yeah interesting um you know maybe maybe as a as a, as a kind of like finishing uh, note here you guys have been doing uh, doing some work with uh, or kind of you know sponsoring branding whatever you call it with formula one <laughs> how did that come about <laughs> um i mean it's part of our sports strategy again we are a red bull of sleep yeah. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense. Then I'm super passionate for Formula One. Um, and so it was a, a not views move at that point. <laughs> so and um, you, you, you're you uh, calling out of uh, out of Miami. Um, what what ma made you to uh, what made you to move uh, to 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 Florida to Miami? Yeah, I mean, I wanted a place where I could practice a lot of sport, uh, sport, uh, a city, you know, around wellness. Miami is that, it's still close to Europe, but also to Latin. My wife is Mexican, um, still based in the U.S., uh, close to New York, direct flights to San Francisco. So it, it was the best, uh, the best of the best, and we are loving it here. <laughs> All right, Matteo. Uh, it was great having you on the show. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I uh, would love to have you back one day and uh, thanks for being here. Awesome. Thank you for having me.